0: Welcome to Post-Break. My name is Chris Peterson, Board Secretary of the Post-New York Alliance. This is our weekly discussion of all the forces that are continuing to shape our industry in different ways right now. Today's topic is Making Moves, How to Get Promoted in Post. Now to introduce our moderator, making her return to Post-Break producer and PNYA member, Claire Shanley.
1: Hello, everybody. Hello, beautiful people. Thanks for joining us. Um, I am Claire Shanley. I'll be your moderator today. Um, By way of quick introduction, I am a post-producer. I uh, recently uh, finished The Plot Against America and the Deuce with some of the illustrious members of this panel. Um, My background includes some post-facility leadership and technical management as well. So um, that's where I am coming from with this whole adventure and this conversation about making moves. A couple quick things as we get started. First, I wanted to thank Becky Blackstone, who was coordinating the panelists and took this topic from an idea into a reality. Because we were both talking about, hey, how do we have a conversation about how people Move up the ranks and um, and change their path, maybe and retool things. So, you know, these post breaks take a lot of work behind the scenes to happen. So, many thanks to Becky and to the Post New York Education Committee overall, because they're continuously rolling out these great sessions week after week. So, applause to you guys. Um, we have four fabulous panelists with us today. They are going to introduce themselves in a moment by by way of very quick intro and a little snapshot. We have. Gloria Tello, who is an apprentice editor now, who's um, been working in New York Post for about five years. Um, the mysterious man without the, um, without the video is our own David Masachi, who is an editor and assistant editor in Post in New York, lots of feature film experience. We've got Shelby Siegel, who is an editor and an ACE, um, Emmy Award-winning editor, um, recently worked on High Maintenance and the Deuce, and we have Jamal Bilal, who is a post-production supervisor um, who is just finishing up Tommy right now, worked on The Deuce and Quantico, many other shows as well. So they're going to give their own perspective on where they're coming from and where they are right now in a minute. I did want to say as your moderator, um, just a few words about expectations and um, what and the monolith, as I put it. Um, You know, as Chris said, today's topic is making moves, how to get promoted in post. And you will be hearing our fabulous four panelists talking about their experiences and offering insights based on what they've learned and done. And just as everyone has a different career path, there's not one easy plan to get promoted. Um, Moving up is gonna differ from role to role, of course, from person to person. And also, um, I wanted to just start with an acknowledgement that it isn't just up to the individual and uh, personal desire to move up. You know, promotion and moving up also requires systems to support moving up um, on the simplest level. You know, it requires shows to be working and hiring, um, as a comment to where we are right now with COVID. On the broader levels, it also requires people to advocate for those moves or to give someone the credit as um, an additional editor or moving them up in a role. Um, it requires people to bring on, you know, willing to bring on someone who might be new to a particular role and um, really requires ongoing attention and support from those of us who are in the position to make a hire and a commitment to really being reflective about it and ongoing improvement from hiring managers. So while you know we've discussed a lot of those structural matters in other post breaks and um, just wanted to you know tie it into those larger questions about equity in the workplace as well as these individual stories. So um, our guiding principle in assembling this panel was basically that success leaves clues, right? Um, we have a lot to learn from each other. And today we will be focusing on our fabulous four panelists' experiences and their perspectives. Um, I also just one final note, our panel is composed of folks who are working show side and post working on scripted shows or features for the most part. Um, There will be different experiences for people who are working on different types of shows and facilities and sound posts. So um, there could be an argument for more panels, um, hearing about different people's career paths. So just wanted to call that out as well. There's, you know, always more ground to cover here. So um, with that, we have a lot to cover in a short period of time. So welcome, Jamal, Gloria, David, Shelby. Um, And we're beginning with a four-part intro, um, asking everybody to talk about where they started out, what they moved up to, what their job is now, and when they're not working, what they're doing. so I wanted to kick it off with Jamal, if you don't mind, um, and I can, I'm happy to prompt you. You started okay. out as?
2: <laughs> um, well, I started off on the corporate production side, uh, mm-hmm. and before that, I was an intern at, uh, for, for Paul Haggis, um, and I worked for him basically for free for two years, unpaid, and I didn't complain about it. And eventually, he talked to his friend, who got me my job in the commercial world. And then Paul had a movie, uh, the the third person, and um, that was my first interlude into post. He said, "Do you want a job?" I'm like, "Yeah." It's like, okay, it's going to be a post PA, and that is how it all started for me. Right. Uh, From there, I progressed to from post PA to coordinator. And then to supervisor, um, I've worked in indie features primarily and then into uh, network serial television. So Great. that I think that kind of sums up Great. my journey.
1: And when you're not working, you what? Oh,
2: when I'm not working, <laughs> I'm doing a, I'm doing a bit. Um, I've written and produced a couple comic books. Uh-huh. I'm, a, I'm in development for a feature. Uh, pitching that and writing, um, and just generally trying to keep the creative juices going, writing short stories, whatever the case may be, whatever my time allows. Excellent.
1: Great. Thanks, Jamal. Shelby, can I hop to you? I want to talk about how you started out, where you moved up to.
3: Um, So I first started obviously, obviously, but I went to uh, Penn State and i like to tell the story just because it was a super low-end program i mean the day we graduated i think they got an avid and then since we graduated they wouldn't let us use it so i didn't know that much but i came to new york and um i got my first job um, making film leaders on lulu on the bridge it was a paul oster film and tim squires was the editor and that was at good edit which I think a lot of people here might remember good at it, but um, that's where I met some of my best friends that I'm still friends with today and um, and got a lot of jobs through that. So one of my first jobs was, um, oh, and by the way, that is the same with Jamal. That was an unpaid job. And then uh, one of my first paid job, which was $20 a day, was on happiness, um, and that was doing conforms, excuse me, conform stuff. And then I sort of moved on up from there. You get a, you know, you become a second assistant. Um, I was a second assistant on uh, Crouching Tiger and Autumn in New York. I had to write down all my things. I didn't even. <laughs> and then uh, you, you move on to your second assistant. You move up to a first assistant. Um, and uh, then I was after I was working on the TV show, The Wire, and I really, you know, wanted to cut. You know that I had reached that limit of like it's time I gotta cut but cutting in feature in features and tv is really difficult to make that jump so I actually ended up having a friend who was working on um, a small project called Capturing the Freedman's and needed uh, the dvd to be made so I jumped on that project and that sort of was my foray and started into documentary film which was a long way away from where I wanted to be but um, i started cutting docs because it was much easier at that time to become a doc editor than a feature editor um you know obviously the competition was is is hard you know it's tough um and i started doing i did uh, why we fight i worked on the dvd for that and at the green line um a film called helvetica um And then I started doing some consulting, editing, and supervising, editing. And then I got onto the Jinx, which I had a long relationship with uh, Andrew. And then from there, I was able to sort of do this thing where a a good friend of mine gave me the idea, which was to take the idea that the Jinx was episodic and kind of pitch myself in that way and say, well, I'm doing episodic doc. Now I want to do episodic narrative. And luckily, uh, a good friend of mine, Bill Henry, um, who is an amazing editor in its own right, Emmy-nominated. And um, he helped me get my first job, which was Quantico. And from there, I moved to high-maintenance. And uh, I worked on Billions and The Deuce. And that's how uh, I'm where I am. And right now, I am working on Halston, a film about the fashion designer for Netflix. Um, Once COVID, or once we can get back to it. And when you're not working? Oh, when I'm not working, I'm uh, hanging out with my family, and uh, this uh, pandemic, a friend of mine, we took the time and we wrote a pilot, so awesome. I'm hope, you know, I hope to keep doing some more writing. That's great.
4: Dave
1: Masachi, let's move to you. You started out as?
4: I started out as a as a PA mm-hmm. on a my first professional job was on a, a set where I was um, a PA. It was a it was like a kids' musical video called We Sing. Sing. I don't know if anyone has ever heard of it, but um, <laughs> this was in Portland, Oregon. And um, okay. so my job was to sit with um, an avid, and while the tape while the beta SP was rolling and recording, I would I had it hooked up to. Um, and added logging, logging station. And I would just like mark in, mark out, and uh, type in the name of the clip. <laughs> Excellent. And then, uh, and then I would bring that little floppy disk with the bin to the editing facility where they would digitize it and, and start working with it. So mm-hmm. that's how I started. Um, and um, the company that I was delivering these floppy disks to um, was looking for someone who could start digitizing because the person who was digitizing was moving up to be editing. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, yeah, I want to do that. So I did a little bit for free and then I started getting paid and it was, um, kind of a learn on the job situation. Cause I, when I graduated college, we, I had heard about Avid. I had heard it existed, but I never saw one until this job. Um, and then, um, I eventually started, kept working with that post facility in Portland and edited corporate videos, a lot of infomercials, commercials, Mm -hmm. and found that the, all the directors who were doing all those things also wanted to make movies. So they had projects that they were doing, making short films and things like that. And so, you know, I got the opportunity to work on those shorts through that job. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and all that was unpaid as well. All that editing was unpaid for those short little personal projects, basically. Some of them did well, and others didn't. And then I got to a point in Portland where I was like, I can't keep doing commercials and infomercials anymore. I need something else. Mm -hmm. So um, there was another, at the time in Portland, and still today, it's a big animation hotspot, Mm -hmm. So, um, I got a job editing an animated TV show called The PJs, which was um, stop-motion animation. It was one of the first shows ever to do stop-motion animation, and it was an episodic show. So, um, I worked on that for a season and realized I had sort of hit the ceiling of what I could accomplish in Portland, so I moved to New York and really struggled for a few years just to get a job in features, which is what my goal was. Um, now in Portland, I had met an editor named Lisa Day. She was a real editor <laughs> um, and she <laughs> happened to live in Portland. And um, one, you know, a couple times she would come in and cut some of these infomercials. So I, I would, I met her at that facility at the time. She introduced me to Sandy Morris, who is an editor in New York. So when I got here, I started talking to Sandy Mm -hmm. through that connection.
1: Nice connections. um,
4: (laughs) Yeah, so both of those women have been real supporters of mine and um, still friends of mine today. And and, um, so with Sandy, because I didn't have any experience working on a feature, it was, you know, it was not that likely that I was going to get a job working for Sandy because she was had all this experience working for Woody Allen. And, and at that point she was working on, working with Mark Lawrence on um, Music and lyrics and both mm-hmm. types of movies. for um, two weeks notice actually. And so after a few years of trying to make ends meet, I finally convinced Sandy and she, and she offered me to, offered a, a job to me as an assistant editor on Music and lyrics, which is the second Mark Lawrence movie she worked on. Uh-huh. And that's how I got into the union as an assistant, and right. that was really my first feature that I ever worked on. Aside from the the features that they were making in Portland, which were really tiny and, right. and uh, didn't really lead anywhere. Anyway, right. so then worked many jobs as an assistant on many different features for probably nine or so years. Mm-hmm. And all the while, and then I got hooked up with another editor, Stuart Levy, and on um, Foxcatcher, and he. It's funny. I mean, when I first took the job, I told him I I want to be I want to be cutting. I want to be cutting, and he was like, Yes, I know, and that's great, and we're going to get you cutting. So take this job as an assistant, and so I did. Great, and uh, sure enough. That's what happened. I became an additional editor on Foxcatcher.
1: Okay, so that was where you made that move. That's great.
4: Yeah. Very cool. And then I did a couple more additional editing jobs and and just finished working on a low-budget feature as an editor. Excellent.
1: Great. And I know Dave is... um, the man without the video today because he is, um, when he's not working right now, he's dealing with power outages due to storms out on the North Fork of Long Island. <laughs> so I can yeah. answer that question for you. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yes, thanks for joining us despite the uh, the power outage, um, Dave. Perfect. So. That's um, great to have you. And then um, and I think it's interesting to hear from people who are cutting now and then also to move to Gloria, who has recently started working as an apprentice and kind of the different arcs that people follow. So, Gloria, let's tell us how, how did you start up? How did you move up? And what's what's the story there?
5: Uh, it's definitely a lot shorter than the- <laughs> <laughs>
1: We've I only studied, just begun. <laughs>
5: <laughs> I studied at uh, Arizona State Film Production, uh, got major there, and interned on a movie where the editor is um, Nick Ramirez, who works uh, mm-hmm. in New York. And uh, so when I moved out to New York, reached out to him, and he sent out my resume, uh, landed as a post-PA, and have been doing that for about five years on five different jobs. And finally last year got on as a apprentice editor. And so now I'm apprentice editor um, on a biopic about Billie Holiday, with Lee Daniels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very interesting job in, in all ways possible. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's where I am. Amazing story,
1: great. And when you're not working, what are you doing?
5: Um, outside of film stuff, I've been uh, like about
1: two years ago, got into learning music. So, I like, oh. yeah. Excellent, great. So get a sense here um, from all of our panelists of the different kind of places where people are coming from and work that they did to get to a place that they wanted to get to. I think one of the common threads is that no one was like, I aspired to do this thing and the door magically opened that there was a lot of kind of finding a way in or through or around or um, building skills to show that you're capable of something. And I'm really curious to hear from some of our panelists about the before you moved up, um, you know, in those jobs where you were like, I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm showing that I can. I'm, I'm earning the cred. I may be working for low pay, no pay. I'm, I'm doing this at night. You know, um, how did you approach that job that you had before you moved up? What were your expectations? And in hindsight, was there a way that you showed that you were ready for that next level, that next move? And if so, um, what was the way that you did that? So, Shelby, could I start with you on that one? I think you're
3: muted. Oh, you're muted. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Uh- Let's say when I was an assistant, I don't know if this answers completely, but I would say is um, when I was an assistant, I think one of the best things you can do is to really listen to your editors. And that doesn't mean just like what they're telling you to do. It's like listen to what they're talking about. Listen to what they're struggling with. Listen to what... Um, How they're dealing with the directors, how they're dealing with the producers, Mm -hmm. Um, because when and how they approach the material, like, you know, knowing what, obviously you have to know when to ask these questions to them, but sort of being, you know, I mean, yes, your job is technical, do the technical, but while you're doing the technical, listen, because that, um, so that when you sit in the chair you that you you have that reserve of knowledge. Like I would say, I learned under um, Kate Sanford, an incredible editor, and I cannot tell you how many times when I'm sitting in a seat, I'm like, "What would Kate do? How would Kate approach the scene? How would Kate approach this director that's driving me crazy? That's asking me to do something that I know is not going to work." And like she always had a great attitude. Like I'd sit in the room and I'd see her just be like, "Yeah, let's try that. Let's try that." So I mean she's a lot nicer than me. So I try, I try, I I try to channel it, but my point is, it's like, that's really where you prepare yourself. Like the technical part of it, you know, you're going to learn it. You're going to have an assistant to help you, but as in, so like the really, I mean, you're going to know your, how to use your machine, whatever, but it's, um, it's really about how you handle stress, how you, you know, handle deadlines, how you handle producer running in your room and being like, I want to watch this before the director and you're, you know, you knowing that there are rules. And so it's, um, I would say when I was an assistant, that was like, and I was lucky that I had really, really good editors that I learned under and that were open to talking about that with me too. Like, you know, I mean, in giving me that's, you know, being letting, allowing me to sort of say, what are you today? How's it going? Um, so that would be my thing. And yeah. then I'd be like, are you, sh- are you, you know, moving to the next, are you ready? You don't know if you're ever ready. Like you're like, okay, I'm ready. You know, I think yeah. what what you have to do is know that you're going to do what it takes to make it work, meaning hard work. I mean, <coughs> um, there's no question that like this business is hard, right? So you want to make sure that you have a support system of people to like, you can call and say, how do I do this? What is your advice? You know, have you been in this situation before? And um, but be prepared to know that you're going to do it. That's how. That's why you know you're ready. You're nervous, but you're also um, excited, and you know that you're going to do the hard work it takes to make it great.
1: Now I'm muted. Awesome. Thank you, Shelby. That's. I think that's. It's a really important piece of it. Is just thinking about like what is this question of readiness, you know, and how do you, how do you kind of, how do you understand those like conceptually being ready? And then it's also like when the rubber hits the road ready. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's I, a really I totally agree with
4: that. Awesome. I, I think that's, that's true for, for any, any position really just that thing that Shelby was saying about listening. And while you're doing your work, you're listening to what, how other people are doing their work. Right. And that's, Key, key, I think. Right.
1: Thanks, Dave. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so much about that kind of um, learning by osmosis, I think, and being around and kind of taking in the environment. Um, Gloria, Jamal, anybody want to weigh in on on the before question?
5: It's definitely the same. I'd say for for post PA, the best part of it was just being around and being able to see. Even though my job, you know, wasn't uh, anything creative or technical too much. It was just being able to learn about what that would entail. And so it definitely like mentally prepped me.
1: Right. I think there's this tendency to be like, Oh, I'm doing petty cash. This has nothing to do with post-production, whatever, you know, but it's also about the exposure and the environment and being aware and, and also being able to get those responsibilities taken care of so that you can, be more focused on on what you're, what else you want to be doing and learning about,
2: right? Absolutely. Um, I didn't have a uh, post producer on my first job, so uh, oh. or a supervisor. We are pretty Our company was in Belgium, so everyone was in Belgium. So, wow. it was me, the editor, the A.E. and the VFX editor. Yeah, that was post. So, learning I. As soon as I watched the editors, I was like, "Okay, I'm, that's not my world. I realized that. I mean, that's not for me. but um, the logistics of being a post I kind of uh, fell into and understood and got the flow and the and flow. so I didn't have anyone to learn from directly, but learning from my editor, my VFX editor, my assistant editor. All of their experience informed me so to so what Shelby was saying is like, it's great to have in your editor teaching you and giving you this information, but also everyone else around you. Listen to what they're saying because they ultimately are dropping just a little bit of fairy dust wisdom every once in a while. Like it's, it, it helps to just go with open ears.
1: Right. And to reflect on it, too, I think. And you bring up a really important point also, Jamal, about um, getting clear on what you don't want to do is almost as important as knowing what you do want to do, because it's also about remembering to listen to what you're excited about and what what is motivating you. And I do think sometimes people are like, this is the job I want, and then they start to realize what the day-to-day looks like on that job, and they're like, oh, actually, maybe it's something else. (laughs) Um, So I think that is a really important piece of it. Um, so moving to the after um, in terms of, you know, taking on, moving up to the next level, you've kind of aspired to something and then you get to that place. There is this saying, you know, what got you here won't get you there, meaning that the skills and approach that got you into the role are may not be the same skills or mindset that you need in order to actually do that new job well. So being good at the old job is one thing, figuring out how to be good at the new job is is. somewhat of a different thing. So um, I'm so interested to hear from people how did you experience the change in responsibilities when you took on the next role and what do you wish you knew walking into your new job that you know now? Like if you could write a letter to your past self that they could that past self could open on that first day of your new role like what would it say? Um, Does anybody want to start with that?
2: I'll jump in on that. So to uh, to move up, I asked I asked for more responsibility, annoyingly so, um, and to the detriment of my post supervisor at the time. Uh, and um, I, I'm thankful that she gradually Isabel Henderson was awesome in giving me speckles of more responsibility for me to to take on, because I had no clue of the um, the weight that comes with it, like the perpetual. Nervous energy of like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? Is this going to be okay? Is anything going to implode? Am I spending too much money? (laughs) Like, so all these questions that you find yourself asking as you move up the chain. um, So I, I'm a big believer in asking for what you want um it's the only way you can get what you want but also be prepared to know that you're not you may not be ready and the person that's in front of you they have the experience to see that they understand um, they may understand the eq and the technical specs that you need to have in order to move up so respect the fact that they don't immediately say yeah sure here's the budget go figure that out here's the, pro- the post calendar go figure that out um so that that was me moving up it was just straight up asking and and doing the work and doing the work to the best of my ability and if anything fell off if i messed up owning up to it i'm a, like if you mess up own it, it that's that's it it's your fault there's no nobody else to blame but you so um, that is that's just a personal philosophy and that's how I approach work and and whenever um, let's say I've encountered an AE that owns it I respect them more and I'm like okay this is someone I want to work with um, again because they understand like it's not a fault we just got to get this job done so uh, right. that's my thoughts
1: Excellent. Yeah, we were just talking about that recently. I was, um, you know, part of how people learn is by making mistakes. And so I think there's a sometimes and you know, my I think a lot of people on this have heard me say, you know, there's this thing about like, people who are drawn to post production and who sort of thrive in that environment tend to be very detail oriented type A people who like to color code and have a lot of different coded colors, pens, and you know, all of those sorts of things. But we also generally I mean, it's not, humans do not like to do things wrong, right? You do not like to make mistakes. It's not how to do it. But I also think sometimes there's this sense of like, it's, you're dying, right? You're hiding, you don't know what to do. Um, and that process of kind of owning it and saying, hey, I think that, this got messed up. I think I messed this up. How how can I fix this is such an important part of the learning process and also of owning the next level of the job and owning the story of saying, okay, I'm still learning. I'm new to this job. Um, So who next? Who would like to talk about the moving up in the after? Shelby. I'll
3: talk about it. Um, I mean, my first, when I got your um, question, my first thing wrote was, it's scary. I mean, there's no way about it, right? You get into a new job and you're sitting there and you're like, oh my God, it's scary. And I think, again, that's where you fall back on those just instincts and the training. I mean, I was really lucky. I came up with a lot, like the the mentality of the time when I came up as an assistant, you know, again, starting from a second to a first and moving up because we were doing film conforms and stuff was, you know, you just had to do things right. You made mistakes, exactly what you said, but you own them. You move through them. You corrected them and you never made that mistake again. Like I've got a million stories like that where you do it again. and. But you, but you do it right, and you care about your work, and you stay there, stay there until it's done. And so luckily, I kind of came from that. So I felt like when I got into that position, that's what I could fall back on. Like that would be my strength. But I thought once, I knew that once I did the work, when I got to the position as an editor, I would do the work. I would do what it takes to make it great. Um, but also don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, I think about like when Claire and I worked together on the deuce, it's my first season on it. And I'm like, I need to talk to her. And she, she's a great person to talk to about scenes or a character. And like, she's been on the show. She knows the showrunner. She knows what they like. Matthew Boris, who was the other editor on the show, same thing. So I wasn't, a, I, I you can't be afraid to say, Hey, can I show you something? Or can we talk out this scene? Or is what, what do you think that the motivation, all of that stuff, um, helps you, and I think that's a good thing again. Is like being even though you're new to it, it's okay to feel like you're new to it, it's okay to accept that that's what it is. You don't have to be like, Oh, now I'm the editor, I know everything, because that's not ever gonna be true anyway. Um, so I feel like that's it, is scary, but when you're ready, you'll know when you're ready because you'll push past the, the fear and you'll and you'll, and you'll take on the, take it on and, and make it great. Awesome. Thanks, Shelby. Mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah. And I also think there's a,
1: like a mindset difference sometimes in different roles. Like there's, um, and Jamal and I have talked about this you know, that, that like coordinator mindset is like, move it through, get it done, process this out. You know, supervisor mindset is a little bit more about analyze what's happening. Keep your finger on the pulse. listen, 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 you know, assess daily routines, keep everybody on track. You know, so it's, it's also about like shifting that mindset, like you're saying as, as an assistant, you're thinking about a certain set of concerns with the show, as an editor, you're thinking about another set of concerns. Um, just putting it out to Gloria or David, any other, what, what if you wrote a letter to yourself for your first day? <laughs>
4: I think- Yeah, that,
1: uh, go um, ahead, Lorna.
5: I, I, I think I'm still too fresh for, for this letter.
1: No, <laughs> you're like I'm writing the letter right now.
4: I don't know. Okay, <laughs> cool. Thanks, David. Um, I I was going to say what you just mentioned is is my my experience too of um you're doing you you're, you're sort of focused on a certain set of tasks as an assistant largely they're more technical than when you're editing um, and so when I was when I first start a job as an editor, I, I have to try to bend myself away from the, the instinct of going to the more technical thought process right? Um, right. into a different, into just a sort of a different headspace.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Part of the way I do it is um, I just try to think like, I just try to get inside the director's head instead of in my own head. <laughs> and so Mm -hmm. that that helps me with that process a little bit and then but also what helps is if you do it sort of if you transition to the next job um in stages that helps with that too because when like when I'm an additional editor I'm doing both editing and assistant editing right so it's so in any one day I could be, have switched, brain, you know, switched <laughs> my brain five times during that day of being like, oh, I need to figure out you know, you know, how to organize this footage better so that the editor can deal with it in a more intuitive way. Right. Um, and, then, and then he'll come to me and say, why don't you fix this scene? Um, here's, my, here's a couple of ideas but throw in one of your own. And that kind of an idea that those two things happening at the same time is <laughs> tough. Yeah. Um, you know, so, but having but the thing about that that's good is it gives you practice and the stakes are a lot lower um, because you have, you know, a mentor to sort of help you along mm-hmm. doing this other thing. And, um, and so that's what I would do when I, when I would, cut my own stuff, um, I would um, just be, just rely on those, those lessons that you've learned and sort of move forward with the confidence that you're like, you have to sort of psych yourself up and be like, no, you can do this. You've done this before. Right. It's just a bunch of the same thing.
1: Right, um, right so much about building that foundation, right? And feeling like, you know, you're like, I have good reflexes in this situation. I know what to do.
4: Yeah. I mean, the letter, the, the practical letter that I would write to myself is get an assistant to do the assistant stuff. Don't try to do it. Um, don't try to do the assistant work and the editing work on your first feature by yourself. <laughs> get someone else to help you. That's <laughs> because, a, yeah. Because it's a trap that you'll, you just, you can't, you know, switching back and forth is just too much responsibility for the editor job to to really do that successfully.
1: Right, right, like being set up to fail, right? You're like, dear self, I love you. Don't do this to yourself. Love self, Um, (laughs) definitely, great.
3: One thing to add to what David said, um I David's totally right. I, I, I forget that feeling of when you first start cutting from an assistant to an editor, yet you are you're like, Let me rearrange the bins, let me I mean you do all that technical stuff because you're so comfortable with it and you know and you have to kind of push yourself to put it away and like mm-hmm. and and I would say some of the things um that I remember I started with was how to approach the material. Um uh these are like people have told stories of this, but, you know, like um, Tim Squires, the way he works is he cuts the scene, he'll cut it all in close-up and then he'll cut the scene all in wide and then he'll find a balance between the two. Or sometimes you can do a thing called a line-by-line where you literally just cut all the performances of the lines. I mean, everyone has their own way and they're not, it's sort of what works for your brain, but sometimes when you're actually just sitting there and you're like, I have no idea what to do, you can just sort of, Fall, find these um, little techniques to just get you started. Right. So you just begin and then then once you watch it, you hope that you're, you're always hoping that your instincts will kick in and say, no, 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 that's not right. This is the better thing, this is what I should do. But you, if you're in that position. So a lot of, again, is maybe if you are an assistant um, and you're working on a job and you have time, take a scene and cut it yourself and figure out how you would work your your what's your pattern of thinking about the material and so that when you get in that seat and you're like oh my god here i am you might be able to fall back on that so um you know always if you can cut stuff you don't you know show the editor don't show the editor but if you have any free time you know yeah that's great shelby yeah, you
4: have to sort of you have to kind of read the room when you're doing stuff like that i would just caution against you know, oh, I cut the scene and, and you're, you know, <laughs> the director and the editor are sitting right together and you're going you to the room and say, oh, I cut a version of that. You have to sort of
1: <laughs> right, be respectful
4: right. of everyone's of everyone's position and and, um,
0: totally. and
4: hopefully you'll have a relationship with the editor where you can go to the editor in private and say, yeah, I just worked on this. I want, wanted your feedback. And that's, that's going to be very, very valuable, getting feedback like that.
1: It's the perfect segue to my next question, Dave. I think it is such, for, it, and it's such a great point. <laughs> I know. See, it's like, I don't even need to make eye contact with you. And we're just going with <laughs> here. But it's, um, I mean, I think context is everything, right? Some of this stuff. And also thinking about what your go-tos are, because I do think, you know, there will be times where like, it, you know, the work is hard and you're using a lot of brain power and sometimes you're not always clear on like what's the next move. So having your go to, whether that's as an assistant, as a, you know, as an editor, as a post supervisor, you know, it's like, I feel like in the, on the post soup coordinator universe, it's like, look at the schedule, see what's coming down the pike. Think about timing. What's next on our plate? What do we need to be prepping for? You know, all of those kind of things as well. Um, Masachi's perfect segue was about feedback, because I think, um, you know, we all, as again with my like, you know, type A post people syndrome question, you know, we all, there's, we have an ambivalent relationship with feedback. A lot of us do, but feedback is also a part of mentoring and guidance. And um, I wanted to hear from people about the role of feedback in your moving up. You know, did you seek it out? Did you work with someone who provided valuable feedback? Um, and how? You know, was it was it helpful to you? And in what ways did it help? Does anybody want to start with that one, or should I call on one of you? Gloria, go for it.
5: <laughs> um- for my position right now, I uh, have a great first AC who's training me on, on everything AVID. And so I'm getting continual feedback. And I, it's been amazing just to like, be aware, like, oh, I'm messing up here, or, or I'm doing mm-hmm. OK here. And, um, and we're friends, so it's, it's a comfortable thing where uh, he, he tells me if I'm messing up. Uh, so uh-huh. I, yeah, I think it's invaluable.
1: That's great. And did you, when you started that working relationship, did you have to say like, Hey, I'm going to come and ask you for this or was it a s- sort of understood because you of your role that, um, that that would be coming your way?
5: Uh, it was, it was understood. He, he knew he was going to have to show me everything. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's
1: the role. Great. Feedback notes
3: on feedback.
1: Shelby, go for it. I
3: couldn't put the question to be more like specific to work, but I think, what I'm going to say hopefully will make sense to everyone too, but I think it's essential to what we do as editors and anything creative. You have to take feedback if it's about the cut or if it's about your performance or if it's about um, how you reacted to something or whatever, you have to be open. It's just vital. You have to be able to hear if we're in creative field. So, and we're, and you're, basically you're opening yourself up to criticism. I mean, that's just what editing is, right? You know, someone looks at it and they like it, they don't like it. You have to kind of have this space between who you are, you know, knowing enough confidence in yourself that you, you know, know who you are and know you did a good job, but it's not, you know, it's not you that they're criticizing. And that's what makes you move forward as an editor and as a better editor is being able to hear that. I mean, again in notes hearing notes from the um from the director from the showrunner from anybody even just the system of um the post supervisors or the post producers and being able to hear like this is how they want it done and um or you know this is a situation how you're going to handle it so i think in general um you have to always be open. You have to hear feedback and you have to kind of, um, and as an editor, it's vital to making you a better editor.
1: Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah, it's part of the job. Yes. And really also, I think for those who didn't come out of like that sort of classical art school education where you sit through crits and get beat up and bashed around and then you, like, you know, you recover and then you get it back together, which is like part of it. It's like you're building up your membrane or your scars or something for that. Mm-hmm. But it is, you know, it can, it functions in a lot of different ways for people. Jamal, did you have anything to, to add on the feedback topic?
2: Um, definitely go and ask again. Uh, I'm a when um the first time i tried to do a calendar i did it wrong and the second time i tried to do a calendar i did it wrong and until i got it right by the um the person i was working with standards, i had to keep asking did i do this correctly so it's always from it's just trying to be open to that and saying okay it's not personal it's the job um so that that's the space I use. Like they're not attacking me. Their expectations of how things are done is their expectations. And that's what I'm trying to execute yeah. now. So, they can, um,
1: can vary from job to, from show to show too. I know. Oh, so that's so yeah. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Thanks. David, did you have anything to add on the feedback topic?
4: Um, I would Say that what Shelby was talking about, about being thick-skinned, is, is important. Um, I mean, I've been in situations where the people giving the comments were giving it, giving the, the, the feedback in a very harsh way. Yeah. Um, and so it was, and I've been in the opposite too. Um, where it's one like, thing say what the, you mean,
1: that kind of the situation. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I'm, or just say it in it. You know, I they're saying it in a way that's like rude, or you know, not pleasant, or like, um mm-hmm. Or, or it could be you know, it could be oh, this is the third time I've tried this. How come I I, I can't understand what they want from me? You know, it can get frustrating and and feel not so good. Right, um, right. So you have to you have to be able to sort of. Figure out a way around that, and one of the one of the ways that I found to, that actually helped me in the creative process of that of, of showing showing a cut to someone and getting feedback in a creative sense is um, you know you take you take the feedback and you always consider it um valid and. And even though you know you may you may be getting feedback about a cut or a version of the scene that you're like that'll never work why why even try that and um, and the answer is you don't really know <laughs> you, you, you know you just don't know right. and you know you can you could try that and it could be garbage or you could try it and be like that's totally the answer mm-hmm. Or you can be you can try it and be like, "Oh, that one part I hadn't realized was available to me and I can." hybridize it with this other thing that I was trying to do and, you know, you discover new things that you would not have discovered unless you had gone down that road. So you just have to, you know, that it's just um, really helpful to be open to feedback. Even if you feel um, like it's like it's a dead end. Um, And, you know, most of the time I will get feedback and it'll be, it would be like, it would be from the director, and it's like, well, your job is to try those ideas. And nice. so I try, you know, as much as I can, and I, I'm, as much, you know, when I'm trying, I'm also thinking about other potential ideas. And, and so, and that's part of the, you know, that's part of the sort of the play that you have or the game that you play with the director, is this back and forth with ideas.
1: Right. Right. Back and forth. And like you go through it and something grows and changes as a result of that. So and I think it's it's analogous to career stuff as well, where, you know, thinking about, you know, hearing hearing about your work from an external perspective. I mean, sometimes it's it can be a little, you know, but it it also helps you to see yourself in a different light sometimes. So um, very cool.
3: Can I add one thing to that? Sure. Yeah. Say, and I, I agree with everything david's saying and i'm just remembering too is like the feedback you also get it from your editor right you, you've you mm-hmm. cut something and your editor is giving you feedback on the scene and what you want to do as an editor is you want to synthesize the note and how then you take that note This is what you do as an editor you hear the note you take the note and then it's like <clears throat> how do i now do it the way i see with the material that i have so it's like people aren't necessarily telling you like cut this, cut this, cut that. They're saying, I don't like this part of it. And you, and you interpret that note and say, oh, I know what we need to fix. We fix maybe a scene two scenes ahead of where that note was. And as an assistant, hearing your editor show you um, a scene, I try to do this with my assistants. I, let, I show that they show me the scene, I give them the feedback, and I always let them recut it. I hated when then they would take the scene from you right then, because I think hearing that feedback Learning how to take those notes is vital to being an editor. So you want to be able to like hear what the editor is saying and don't just hear them saying cut from A to B to C, hear them what 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 is their real note? What am I not feeling? What's the character not doing? Is right. that help you? You may not, you're not going to come back and kill it. That's very, do we ever just, it doesn't seem stay away. You cut it, but you, you're going to get closer to what they want. So right. but again, feedback is so important and not and taking your ego out of it and saying, really listening and asking questions. If your editor gives you a note and you're not sure you understand, don't just nod and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> cause when you go back to him and you've not changed that thing listening, yeah. you know what
1: I mean? So. Yeah. And that applies for every, you know, that's, that's not just an editing that's everywhere, I think, in terms of saying, hey, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm understanding this. Um, because, the, you know, the conversations always it's like, there's, you know, things take on a life of their own. Sometimes people have been working together for a while, they speak shorthand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of it is also feeling clear and entitled to have all the information so that you can do your job well and to communicate well with everybody on the team. Um, I'm looking at the time, which is it's 4.53 by my watch, which means it's time for Chris Peterson and his NPR voice to ask us some questions um, that have come in from the audience because there are like a whole bunch of them, I think. So Chris, lay it on us. What do you have?
0: Thank you, Claire. Hello, panelists. Uh, I'd like to start out with, uh, with this one. Those of us who are fortunate enough to be working right now are most likely doing so remotely. Sometimes for people that we have not met in person, is it a bad idea to, to open a conversation about the possibility of a promotion in these unusual and stressful circumstances?
1: Oh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna just say one thing, and then I'll toss it to anybody who on the on the group. I, I mean, I think earlier, you know, Dave was talking about timing and, and context and and reading the room, and I do think it's you know, my heart goes out because it's very hard to read the room when the room is Zoom, you know. And so there's always a thing about like figuring out. Um, and so my initial thought would be, you know, also wondering, um, is there work that you feel that you could be doing to take that off of somebody else's plate? Is there a responsibility that you want to learn and grow into that would be of service? So it's, you know, I think this is the question about um, somebody I heard use the metaphor, like, don't give me your grocery list, ask to make a meal with me, um, which is really about like your career. Don't just be like, I want to move up, you know, but what kind of service can you be, how can you help With the work that needs to get done i think is a big question in that situation um it's tricky because a lot of times there's you know as a producer we don't have room for promotions built into a show um but there are situations where Things are expanding, tasks are expanding, responsibilities are expanding, and there that's where the opportunity is that's often you know where there's an additional editing credit or there's um, a role for somebody to get more credit for more work and and so that's just my quick take on it. um Does anybody else want to pop in and say something on that
3: uh, i I haven't been working in the, I, that's I think it's a hard time i don't I don't have any good thing i mean. Now. but I think in it to just piggyback off of what Claire said, when I first started, uh, a cousin of mine was in the theater, and you know what he said was his advice that sticks with me was make yourself invaluable, like make yourself that they, they cannot get rid of you, like really work hard. And and he's like, and and it is true in this business if people see you do not just your job, but a little bit above, or you try, you know, what are you saying, like taking something off the plate. Most people will reward you for that. Even even if that doesn't mean a a better position on that job, but maybe they'll say, Hey, what are you doing on your net? You know, I'm going to this next job. I'd love to bring you along. People always reward. At least I do hard work and perseverance and a good attitude. Definitely. Cool.
2: It's definitely not about right now. Oh, sorry, dude. Um, Yeah. I was saying it's, uh, it's, right now it's going to be hard and right now like just follow the advice of Claire and Shelby do more do it better take something off someone's plate because they will remember this and that's how you keep working um it is legitimately you're remembered for being the person that makes the job easier and they will recommend you to someone that's asking yeah. Sometimes they may not want to lose you, but they will recommend you at some point.
1: <laughs> and it's a deposit in the bank, right? It may not it may not exactly. happen in real time, but it, it's something that may pay off on the next show, on the, you know, somebody calls and asks for a recommendation, that sort of thing. Yeah. Chris, next question.
0: Sure. Here's a topic that comes up pretty often. So I've combined kind of several questions into one here. Mm-hmm is experience assistant editing and editing docs attractive if you want to be hired for narrative work? Or what advice do you have for folks making lateral move from docs to narrative? Um, You know, we always have a lot of people trying to go from unscripted to scripted. Similarly, I've heard you have to be willing to move backwards, say from AE back to post PA. Is that always the case? And, and, or lastly, if you've been out of the narrative game for a few years how do you get back into it oh that's like that's a big
1: sandwich of questions there um i kind of (laughs) want to ask shelby to handle the documentary to to scripted question because that is what you did right
3: well i think good happily now Things have changed in that when I first started, I, I met a big editor when I came to New York. She was a friend of a cousin and she's like, pick a track and stick with it. You can't go back and forth. And, you know, I didn't know anything at the time. I was just a PA and and then, you know, moved up. But luckily things changed. I was able to take do these doc jobs and um, be able to make the switch. It wasn't easy and took a long time. Um, and, uh, but I think what was ha- was positive is, or what helped, I think, is taking projects for a reason. So like, and even if that reason is money, like that's fine to take a project for money, but like to kind of like have a idea with your career of what you want to do. So if it's, if you're doing doc work, like take a doc that you're really interested or passionate in, because if the doc does well, or if it's a really interesting topic, you can. Kind of use that in your interview. Like, this is who I am. This is the kind of projects I'm interested in. You know, I look back on the things I've done. I'm like, oh, wow, there is a thread in there, but I, I, you know, I tried to always take a job that was You know, learning a new skill or working with an editor. I always wanted to, or the topic was really interesting and I just wanted to do it. but making those moves is difficult. I would say in today's day and age, it's probably easier to make the move into TV. That may mean being an assistant first, if you're you know, going from a docket or maybe you have to be an assistant because it seems to me that being an assistant in TV, it's easier to become an editor. Not always, it depends on your showrunners, but a lot of showrunners wanna, um, wanna promote an AE who's been on the show because they know the show. But clearly, that means you have to go have a good relationship with the showrunner. I mean, if there are people who don't even know your name after you know two seasons, then you're probably not going to get a bump up on that show. But it's um, but I think that seems to be an easy move. Or you know, the low but you know, features are tricky because they're you know the the really really tough like big editors in New York are getting all the big big features, so you're going to get lower features, lower budget features. And they're kind of hit or miss if they're going to have a life or not. Um, So, but it, you know, I was, I was, it took me a long time to make the move and um, people are resistant to, if you haven't cut comedy, it's silly. It's, it's an old mentality. I think it's changed a little bit, but I think maybe if you put the emphasis in the kind of projects you take, um, you can kind of use that in the interview. You know what I mean? Like I was passionate about this. And so I did this doc because it really meant something to me. Mm -hmm. I don't know.
1: I think, yeah. I mean, and I'm I'm actually, I think there's also like helping people to find the bridge, right? With like, oh, help me understand how this segue makes sense professionally. And I want to actually just ask Gloria, this is kind of a related question, but I feel like we also haven't heard your voice on this. In some ways, I think a lot of people in our audience want to be who you are right now right? The apprentice role is like a, I mean, there aren't enough apprentice roles in the business right now, but it's a sought after role. But also could you say a little bit about how you got to kind of jump? I always feel like it's a trapeze jump where you're like, and you grab onto the bar, you know, how did you make that move from PA to apprentice? And do you have any kind of do's and don'ts for people who are looking to pursue that just to kind of build on this question?
5: Um, For me, it was completely, uh, the relationship, the friendship I have with the first AE, because mm-hmm. uh, when he got the job, he was like, "Oh, I know someone who wants to move right. up and going to, to trainer," and mm-hmm. uh, and so and I met him uh, at my first Cinco de Mayo post and why. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> That's <laughs> excellent.
5: You go to the the networking events and and be genuine when you you're there to make real connections because mm-hmm. so those are the ones that matter and not not just like push to try to get a job, um, I, I feel like it's very,
3: you can feel that.
1: Right. Right. Very cool. It's like, it's,
5: it,
3: it really works. Yeah. Sorry to jump back in. I just thought I realized I forgot to say something. Mm-hmm. One of the things I did when I was trying to move into narrative back into narrative was I wrote emails to every person I knew in the narrative world that I'd known, you know, since I was an assistant and said, Hey, this is what I want to do let me know if you know of anybody who's needs to go on a vacation or is out sick i mean none of it worked but a lot of people responded to me and said that's great shelby i'll let you know if i hear of anything and it i think it's okay to to um, don't be shy about sending out emails even though it's a little weird feels weird to do it but I think you're not you can't go asking for a job but you're asking to like hey remember me this is what I'm interested in doing because a lot of times you hear of jobs and you're like you try to remember like oh who's looking for work and sometimes it may be the last person that sent you the email is who you kind of think about um, so I think it, it doesn't hurt to say here's where I am and um, I mean, if you don't know that person, it's a little bit different. But if you have a connection, go through your all the people you worked with on jobs and see where they are. Send them an email. How are you doing? This is what I want to do. Um, let me know. So I think uh, that's one sort of grounded thing that you can do.
1: Mm-hmm. Keep the relationships. Keep the connections alive. Yeah. Very cool.
3: Uh, Chris, did
1: we answer at least part of that question?
0: Yeah, and that was fantastic. And I actually, you've already touched on my next one. If we could spend just another minute or two on the apprentice role. Um, I have someone asking, I want to know more about the apprentice route. They seem few and far between. And that topic has come up on past post-break. So maybe kind of, how does all that work?
1: Chloe, do you want to talk about what your job is? And then I can talk a little bit about um, kind of the role in sure. terms of like shows and you know.
5: um yeah i feel like that from what i've seen as a post pa i'm basically the second assistant editor but just with with someone mentoring me and training me and not being expected to know everything um but it's it's basically that i'm going to ask for a second assistant um, credit
1: yeah it's see. a tra- yeah i mean i think see look at this in action aspirations in action um I think it's, you know, there have been a lot of conversations about it recently. And I think it's, um, you know, apprentice roles are rare. I think they're more common on features than on on TV for sure. Um, And it is a sort of, you know, trainee, you know, allowed to touch the Avid, the magic permission gets, you know, you're you're allowed to be working on the Avid. Um, And... And kind of the shadowing role, and also that the assistants are responsible for your work, right? So they're QCing, they're checking, they're reviewing, and and then you know as the as the show progresses, taking on more responsibility. Um, it's not a situation where there's like a secret registry of apprentice roles that people are missing out on, though I'm I am here to say that there just are not that many of them. Um, I do think that there's an important kind of corollary that um, Gloria mentioned and that I think a lot of our people who have made the jump to editing talked about, which is just about. And, and this is also something that Shannon Baker Thomas mentioned when she was talking about her career arc of moving from reality editing into episodic was that she worked with an assistant who basically guided and oversaw, but also kind of, you know, part of it is um, sometimes there's reluctance to hire people because it's like, oh, you haven't done this exact job before, right? That is always kind of the studio mindset of like, I have to hire someone who's already done this job, which as we know, leads to a lot of structural issues. So, um, but the idea that there's um, an assist, you know, somebody else on the show saying, look, I'm working with this person, I'm helping them grow professionally. I'm, I'm teaching, I'm checking their work. I'm responsible, you know, and and we're working together is a really important kind of partnership um, sometimes in, in getting that yes and getting the hire and getting, getting the the placement sometimes. So I just wanted to highlight that because I think sometimes people are like, I have to talk to the, you know, producer, the post-soup, or the editor, you know, but it's also about the person who's going to vouch for you and work alongside you. That's an equally important role a lot of times in getting to that place. So with that, Chris, do we have time for one more or are we? Breaking yeah. out? Okay. this
0: will be our, our last question before the breakout rooms. Okay. In order to move up, it's essential to have a mentor or someone to learn from. In the COVID reality where everyone will be more remote, you have any advice for how to learn from people above you and I'd like to just add a little promo that the post alliance is working on exactly that kind of remote mentoring right now so keep your eyes open for an announcement about that but um does the panel have any other ideas for that kind of advice giving oh,
1: this is a great question um has any, I've, I'd be curious to hear, has anybody been doing, um, Jamal, I see you have, are you, are you doing any mentoring I, right now? I'm,
2: yeah. I'm not doing any mentoring but, um, directly, but uh, someone I met, exchanged emails with, they've, um, they're now in the HBO post program. So oh, currently she's learning um, what did it take to be a post coordinator right. and she emailed me yesterday, yeah, yesterday and asked me if I could give her advice or explain to her some things that she's not getting. So to Shelby's credit, email, just email them, say, Hey, I got a question and create that repertoire, like open up that conversation. Um, granted we're all, this is zoom COVID times, but we still do a lot of communications over the phone, even when we're in the office. So don't be afraid to call or text or email someone like, Hey, I got a question and ask that question. Oh, cool.
0: that's great. Thanks.
1: Anyone else thoughts on in the COVID era, how to connect with people? Yeah. I-
3: I think it's the same thing. I think it's just you need to, um, you know, you can email somebody and say, hey, can we have a phone call? I mean, I just did it a few weeks ago with a friend of a friend who's looking to move up and, you know, just, I, you know, and then I connected him with another friend of mine who sort of had more of the trajectory that he wanted. So, um, yeah, I think you can just, I, I'm not sure I see that so differently You know, I mean, I think it's definitely harder in if you're working on a project to necessarily get that, you know, as an editor assistant learning that, you know, to learn from them in that way. That's a little bit harder. Um, But um, I think, you know, I think in, in terms of networking, I think you do all the usual stuff, which is obviously you can't go to a post house and drop off your resume, but you can definitely, you know, email people look up somebody that you really admire and you can get their email and send it. They may or may not respond to you, but can't hurt to try.
4: Yeah, I think networking is pretty much operates the same, except you can't go to Cinco de Mayo know. until right now. But okay. but yeah, keeping in touch with the people that like Shelley was saying that that you've seen their work and you admire them, or or you admire the work, or you're interested in their path that they took, or. You know, whatever excuse you can come up with to engage with someone is, or or see some sort of commonality between your what you are about and what they're about is, is helpful. And, and I don't know. I, I mean, my experience with with mentorship has always been, you know, being able to be in the same room, and it's not necessarily um Sometimes it's in the next room, but but, <laughs> but it's not necessarily um, learning from them as much as it is sort of them getting an understanding of where your skill set is and, mm-hmm. and supporting you in a way that sort of it keeps you going and keeps you moving in the direction that you want to move in. Um, that's part of mentorship too, I think, is like, being a cheerleader almost and being like yeah you can you know keep going keep going yeah keep trying um
1: and I think sometimes it's that process of of telling somebody what you've been doing, but only by doing that do you realize that you've actually been accomplishing something, <laughs> you know, and that I think can be really, it's part of the process of being like, oh, yeah, I, I did this stuff, you know, this is this is where I am at this point. And so in some ways, it's like that reflection process can be very helpful too. But I do think it's about, um, you know, reaching out with low expectations, also being, um you know, persistent in a low key way of like, Hey, I know things are busy right now. This is kind of a crazy time. But if you do have a minute, you know, that goes a long way. I think with reaching out to people.
3: I think one more thing, Claire. Yes. I mean, the last thing I'd say is don't give up. Just stick with it. It will, it will happen. It takes time. Somebody will say yes to you when you're trying to make that next move. You'll get a lot of no's and then there'll be that one person who's like, sure, Of course you can move. We'd love to have you on this project. And then you work hard. Always, always, always do your best job. Um, You know, give it everything you have. People will remember that. And then you'll, then you'll, you're in this next level and then you'll move, you know, you'll move up to the next level after that. But it's always takes that time between levels. Um, You just have to stick with it. Be consistent, you know, just, don't give up and somebody will say yes. And you'll, before you know it, you'll be like, oh wow, look where I am.
1: Look at that. <laughs> Shelby Siegel, everybody giving us a no. It's, it's a good point. And it's, it's also like, it's not a straight line. It's yes. rarely a straight line. So I think that's there. I think, I feel like that's like the perfect closing note.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you panelists. This has Thank been awesome.
5: Thank you panelists. You guys are amazing.